it's truly an honor to be facilitating this workshop with Yechanan Palter. And I wanna begin by making a disclaimer or perhaps sharing with you something important. I'm sure that most of you at this point have already listened to the interview with Yechanan and with his daughter, Manucha, both very powerful workshops, I mean, uh, podcasts. And I'm also sure many of you have heard the podcast with Rabbi Shimon Russell. If you haven't, yes, I, uh, if you haven't yet, I strongly encourage you to take the time to listen. I've received a lot of feedback. And I wanted to begin this evening by sharing with you something important. Many people expressed this feeling of unease or darkness that they experienced after hearing the podcast or after being made aware of the correct and highest level of parenting. Unconditional love comes off for some people being something that's very hard to achieve. And when we listen to this podcast, we can't help but feel and think, oh my gosh, <laughs> oh no, I've, I've made this mistake. I've made this mistake many times. I'm doomed with my children. My children are messed up forever. Or we may feel like there's no hope. Like this is just not possible for me. This is not an attainable goal for me. There's just no way I can tap into this high level of love. And the truth is, is that I can relate to that feeling. And when I really tap into that feeling, I notice that it's a feeling of fear. And this feeling of fear is coming from our Yitzhahara. It's not serving us. It's holding us back. It's keeping us stuck in our victimhood and in our narrative that we're telling ourselves about ourselves, what we can and can't do. And the truth is, is that we can do it. And when we do do the work on ourselves and we do this work and it's hard work, when we can love ourselves unconditionally, only then can we truly love our children unconditionally. And we don't have to wait until we're healed. We don't have to wait until we've done all the work. We can begin, we can take baby steps. We can make small changes. And I think the first step is having this awareness. So when you begin to feel these feelings, notice where they're coming from and ask yourself if it's really serving you these thoughts. In addition, I wanna say that we also need to realize that no one here is blaming anyone. This is not a blame game. If you feel that all of this information that you're hearing about HSPs or the correct way of parenting and the correct way of disciplining out of a place of love, all of this unconditional talk, love talk is not an excuse to blame our parents. And it's not an excuse to shame others for their parenting style that's incorrect. You know, our parents did the best they could. They really did with the knowledge that they had, the information that they had. In most cases, I'm not trying to whitewash everything. There was definitely stories of abuse and there's definitely situations that that was not their intention. They didn't, that was wrong. But for the most part, our parents did the best that they could. And we do the best that we could. We did the best that we could. We've also made mistakes. We still are making mistakes. So we need to tap into this feeling of compassion. We need to be compassionate to ourselves, to our parents, to the generations before us. And remember that they did do the best that they could. And now at the same time, we need to tell ourselves how fortunate are we that we've come across this information at this time, at the correct time that we need to find this information. And at this time that we're able to help our children, to heal our children, to heal ourselves. And the truth is it all begins with ourselves. So that's the first thing I wanted to share. 
So let's get right into it. All of you that are here tonight um, have listened to this podcast of HSPs and it resonated with you and you wanted to know more. I know about, I know I had the same experience for myself when I heard this, I said, I need to read more information on this. And I actually began with the recommendation from Yechanan to read the orchids and dandelions book, which is more of like a theory and research-based information. So if you like to see the information, the data behind it all, I encourage you to read The Orchid and Dandelion by W. Thomas Boyce. Um, it was a little dry of a read, I will say, but there were some things that were quite insightful. And in the postscript of the book, he writes a shorthand way for parents or teachers to remind themselves what orchid children need the most. So in your handouts that you had there, I don't know if you, can, if you could put it in, if you have it accessible to put it in the chat box. Can you, if you're able to? Um, you did get this email prior to our, if you didn't, we can email it to you also at the end. So the word ORCID is an acronym and it's a way for us to remember how we can foster and sustain healthy development of our families or our classrooms, or just to be more sensitive to children that are highly sensitive or to ourselves. Like if you find that you yourself are HSP, this is helpful for yourself to know this. So the number one, O, O stands for one's true self. The idea is that when orchids are busy trying to fulfill their parents' and teachers' will, hopes and desires, they lose a part of themselves. They're so busy trying to be what their parents want that they don't feel attached themselves. So children need to discover who they are and what they can become. And I would say that I would argue this is true for all children, not just for orchids. Um, the R stands for routines and predictability. We know that orchid children flourish with routine, family routine, when they know what to expect, bedtime routine, routines, rituals. Um, and this is true for classrooms as, as well. I, I noticed that my HSP, one of my children, just loves teachers that are predictable and have a routine and they know what to expect each day. It's just easier for them to, to manage that. The C stands for caritas, the Latin word for compassion and love, or just you could say care. All children need love, we know this. They need parental love, affection, but orchid children are especially in need of their caregivers and loved ones constant, reliable presence and love. And for some kids, it's hugs and words. And for others, it's providing for their needs by like, you know, whatever their love language is. And we need to hear what it is that they need. You know, they need to hear you tell them that you love them. They need that hug. When we know that when a child's acting out, there's a need that needs to be filled. They're not doing this because they're bad or they're trying to annoy us, but there's something inside of them that has a need that need, they need to be filled. The H stands for human differences. You know, some people and some families, they find it easy to highlight the obvious difference between their children. And, but at the same time, they don't want to label them. And they're, per, perhaps their style is like a one size fit all parenting. You know, it's, it's easier when you have a large family. This is what we do. This is how we parent and this is it. It has to fit for everyone. But that kind of parenting is not good for orchids because you can overlook and ignore the important individual differences between our children. And we know that no two children are the same. And even two children that are raised in the same family by the same parents can turn out very different. And the H is an important part. It's reminding us that we need to notice the differences in our children and we need to spell it out sometimes and show them their strengths. We're not showing them that they're different. We're showing them where they are strong and where their strengths are. And this is true for teachers too. 
highlighting a child's strength in the classroom is gonna really help this child blossom. And the I stands for imaginative play. We all know that having play, time to play with a child alone for the child to have their alone time, playing with your child is so important. It's so crucial for the child's development and well-being. Um, you know, we as children had so much more free time. And I've, I've heard people tell me like, why, you know, why didn't it, it worked for us in the eighties. We, we had, our parents didn't necessarily know all the stuff and I turned out okay. And, you know, I always say like, you didn't have your, our children didn't have what we had this free time, this time to play, this creativity, this ability to, to really just be creative. We have now technology and we have so many things that we're up against, that we're fighting against, that it's a different world that we're raising our children in. So playtime is so important and, and orchids really crave it even more. You'll see that they, 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 they want it, they need it. And we don't have to keep our children on a structure and have them constantly have everything scheduled out. Free time, creativity is so important as well. The D stands for danger. And one of the most challenging and difficult parts of parenting that we know is the idea that our children are gonna have to deal with difficult decisions or dangerous scenarios that come up and we want us to keep them safe. And we, we need to find a balance between protecting our children and encouraging our children at the same time. So, you know, orchid children are usually more afraid, they're more fearful, they're not willing to take this risk as, risk, as much risk as other children. So we as parents have to decide how we can help our children make that choice. When, we should, when, we should, when should we honor their fear? And when do we need to give them like a push and encourage them in a gentle, loving way in the right direction? So finding that line is an important piece as well. So I have a ton of questions. I know that I've gotten questions from people that have listened to this podcast that I want to get into. But before I begin that, I want to start with asking Yechanan and to share with us a little bit about now that we know what an HSP is, because everyone here now has been made aware and it's like, ah, now I get my child. Now I understand my spouse. All of this makes sense to me. Now I understand myself. I always thought I was just strange and now I get who I am. I've heard that from so many people. And now that we know this information, okay, so we're two from here. Like, what do we know? Now that we know it, how do we parent these children? How do we help ourselves if we are HSPs? So yeah, and take it away. Thank you, Razel. Um, I'm, I'm humbled and honored that um, there's actually more than one person that cares to hear what I have to say. And hopefully um, I will be able to uh, inspire everyone here as I have in the past. Um, for starters, let me just give my disclaimer. I'm not a mental health professional. I don't have any schooling, any licensing. Anything I say is just my gut feeling and just the reading or the videos that I've studied up on the topic. So please don't hold anything. Um, I, I sometimes tend to be a little outlandish or say things for impact and effect. So I just want everybody to understand that I'm just coming at this as a father and someone that went on this journey together with my family. Um, so I think this concept of HSP, I'm, I'm worried may have been taken as a, um, as a deficit in the child or as problematic or something wrong. Um, what brings to mind, and all of you, or hopefully most of you have heard the podcast from Rabbi Shimon Russell, but when I was in Eretz Yisrael with him about a year and a half ago, talking about HSP, he pointed out that in reality, HSPs are normal. It's possibly the rest of the world myself included, that are HISPs. 
highly insensitive people. The fact that a child or an adult who's a highly sensitive person is and feels another person's pain, walks into a room and instead of going for the hot dogs and blankets, decides to take in what perhaps other people in the room need, um, is, care, is careful and considerate about other people's feelings, is motivated to change the world and make the world a better place, is able to connect with people and children in a way that many others can't, is not a chasarin. It's a mila, it's a gift, it's a blessing, and it's something that has to be embraced. And if it's not embraced, it's because of our limitations. Um, so, you know, we're sitting here like reading books on these people and, and, and viewing them as a unique species, um, species and, and just, you know, it, it, it's not the case. They have a, their neshama is more connected. They are, um, they're just playing at a higher level, but I, I don't want anybody to feel or think that in any way, shape or form, this is a, uh, um, a discrediting of them or some term that needs special treatment. That's not what it is. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we're not very sensitive to other people's needs. And the struggle for an HSP is living in a world where not everybody tends to be that way. But in an ideal world, we would all have that sensitivity and that desire and that passion and that compassion and the love and the talent and the creativity that an HSP has. So for starters, if you wanna help your child or your spouse or anybody that's an HSP, let's stop looking at them as a disease. I know, um, you know, we have this thing with labels as well. And Razel, you sent me a question from somebody a couple of weeks back about labels. Like not every time we put a label on somebody doesn't necessarily means they have a problem. The mental health world has done a very good job at labeling people with typically a negative connotation. But, you know, labels are a good thing. The Torah says, we're called children of Hashem. That's a label, but that's a blessing. And that's a gift. And that's an honor. It's not a bad thing. So I just want to sort of set the tone for the discussion rather than looking at HSPs, you know, as being problematic let's look at them as being gifted and blessed. And perhaps some of us may not, you know, have those gifts and those blessings and how do we interact with them and how do we help them and thrive in a world where majority of the world is not playing at that level yet. Yes, I, I think that's a very important um, place to start. And I would say that that has actually been the feedback that people were like, wow, this is a whole thing. I think people, you know, some of my kids now want to be, I'm also high HSP, like I'm also sensitive, like notice me. And the truth is it's interesting because some people have said to me, you know, when I listen to it, I know a lot of people that fit into this category, but not in every single area. So like that was one of the, that's one of my first questions I actually wanted to ask you. Um, how do, how do you know if your child is, not just a regularly sensitive child and you're actually dealing with an HSP, meaning can you be slightly sensitive? Can you be a slightly HSP? Can you be a, a, a more sensitive or less? Is there, is there a spectrum on this? 
Um, so there is, I think in the handout you sent out, uh, part of it was Dr. Elaine Aaron's assessment. And I think there's 27 questions. And the answer is, yeah, it's a range. It's not all or nothing. Um, it's, and you can, you can have, you can have 10 characteristics of an HSB, HSP and appear to the world very HSP, um, even though you may not have that necessary 14. So it's a, it's a question of both the number of characteristics that you have, as well as which characteristics you have that might impact how you react to the world. So as an example, one of the questions that's asked is, you know, how do you react when you drink caffeine? Um, so somebody who's an HSP and act, gets jitters when they drink caffeine, as long as they stop drinking caffeine, they can function a very, in a very healthy and functional life and normal. You can't always do that with some of the other characteristics of feeling other people's pain and understanding other people and being sensitive. So there's absolutely a range. Um, the other thing that I encourage, especially adults, is that when you go through the HSP assessment, um, we may not realize, for lack of a better word, how cut off and neutered we become as we go through life to deal with certain feelings or emotions or experiences that are too difficult. Um, so, you know, very often you might have typically answered yes to a certain question on the HSP assessment, uh, but you're choosing to answer no because you've developed defense mechanisms, how not to feel other people's pain. Or uh, very often like with, with creativity, I'll ask people, you know, do you play an instrument? And they'll say no. And then I'm like, did you ever want to play an instrument? And then they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, when I was seven years old, I sat down on the piano or I asked my parents to buy me a guitar and they told me no. So <clears throat> what that indicates is that there probably is some creativity or musical talent there that was, um, you know, not allowed or unable to prosper and develop. And therefore you built a, again, a defense around it to act like you don't have that. So yes, there's definitely a range. It's not a one size fits all. Um, and you know, you, you, you mentioned a few things in your starting point, which I want to address. Number one is no bad will come if you treat a non HSP like an HSP. Right. Um, and I, I think you mentioned that, I think you and Rabbi Russell talked about that Razel in your last, last podcast. Um, you know, you're not, you don't have to worry about going wrong. If you're uncertain, it's okay to, to assume they're an HSP and react to them that way. I promise you the harm will be a lot less than if it's the other way around. If the child truly is an HSP and you treat them like a non-HSP. Right. Um, that was number one point. Number two, you mentioned just briefly in your opening statement about blame. And now that many of you have heard the podcast that you know my daughter put out and you heard the rest of the story, one of the things that I often say was, the greatest moment or one of the greatest moments in my life in my daughter's journey was when I realized that it was my responsibility. <laughs> and I want to be clear, blame and responsibility are two different things. Blame comes from a place of hopelessness where there's nothing we can do about it. So either we take the blame 
or we put the blame on someone else. Responsibility is a privilege. You know, I'm a responsible person. It's a compliment. It's not an insult. Um, so the concept of responsibility means that I'm able to do something about it. And in my daughter's story, what it meant was is that if I take responsibility for her feelings and emotions and, and we as her parents take responsibility for it, we don't have to rely on other people healing her. So you said about not taking blame. I fully agree with you. We shouldn't take blame. There's no, there's no place for blame. It's useless. It's pointless. It does no good. Responsibility, on the other hand, is not a negative. It's positive because it means that we are actually able to be responsible and turn the tide and help our children out. Well, that's a very good point. That is a very good point. Um, one of the questions that I received from viewers and listeners is um, something I think we started, we addressed in the previous podcast, but um, what would be the correct way to tell an orchid child about his her, or her own sensitivity and like how to make them feel proud of it, not ashamed of it, and not to like point out their differences and at what age is the correct age to do this? I mean, you, a three-year-old, four-year-old, are we talking about eight-year-olds? When is the right time to address it? And even though you did touch on this in the, in the previous podcast, I figured it would give it a moment or two would be helpful to people. Sure. Um, so I think as the ages go, I think it's a process. Um, in the younger years, I think the important thing is to react in a positive, loving, caring way, just not to do damage. Um, will they necessarily understand that they are different depending on the age? I, I don't know. I can't comment on that. But it may be hard to convey the message to them that they are um, that they view things differently than the rest of the world does. But I think as long as a parent reacts to them in that way, then that's 51% of, of how to deal with them. Um, as they get older, and I, I recently had this conversation with my, um, one of my children who's a, she's 13 and she's an HSP. Um, and she was aware of the topic, but we finally had a very lengthy discussion on it. And I simply explained to her that, you know, what, again, depending on the child, I, I can give you concepts, but you know, part of it is explaining the two different neshamas that a human has, the nefesh of Ahamas, the nefesh of Akis. The nefesh of Akis is more spiritual. It sees things, it feels things, it connects things, and it connects with spirituality and even other people, it connects with them more deeply. Um, and that different people have different amounts of, of sensitivity to that. And, you know, explaining to them that when you see you know, hopefully you have some examples that you can bring to them. So you might say, when the particular story happened, you reacted very strongly like this. Let me tell you how I reacted when I heard that story. And I think even, even right now, you know, what's going on there, it's just right now with the, with the uh, attacks and the bombings and everything. There, there's, there's two different ways that people are taking it. An HSP might take it a lot more personal, but if you can take a story like that and explain to your child, this is how I take it, mm. not because I'm a bad person, just because I don't feel it as deeply as you, 
then they begin to, you know, process and understand on their own. That but might they feel different than their parents? Like, won't they say maybe like, I'm different than my mommy and poppy, like, or I'm different than him. And that's like, so we, so that's, that's where the first part of the conversation is that yes, you're in the Shama basically is more sensitive to spirituality, authenticity, and you were given this gift to be more sensitive. Mm-hmm. And this gift comes with a responsibility. And I find any- it interesting that you say that you're saying you, you personalize it about yourself. It, it's interesting because I might think like to compare two children, say like, you see how your brother reacted to that news. And then he said, oh, can I go have dessert? And the other one was sitting there and had 10 questions and wanted to know, you know, information. Clearly they were more sensitive, but you're saying not necessarily compare it to other children their age, but rather comparing I, it to I think, how you feel. I'm just curious to understand that because maybe from a child's perspective, they might say, yeah, obviously you're an adult. I'm a kid. I'm just, I'm just, you know. So I, I think, uh, I think that any time you compare two children, I think it gets dangerous. Right. Um, that's just the overall recommendation. Yeah. Um, and I think by comparing yourself, you actually make it more personal. And I think it's, it's more impactful on the child. You know, because you're basically being vulnerable is what you're doing. Exactly. Telling the child that and what a parent can accomplish by being vulnerable and showing their, for lack of a better, weak side, if you will, um, or comparing the sensitivity that the child had compared to the parent, I think it's much more impactful and it allows the child to then go into school and into their family and into other dynamics and be empowered because they understand that their, you know, mommy and Tati are also like that, but their mommy and Tati told them that, hey, you have the special gift and it's no longer, it's no longer a, um, a downside. So that's, that's just my, again, my disclaimer, but just yeah, my but humble opinion. And, and I actually, I've heard from people that have told me that they shared this with their child and that their child turned to them and said things to the effect of like, you understand me, mommy. You really understand who I am. And that feeling of being understood is the same idea as Shimon Rafa talks about the four S's, right? Being seen right. and soothed and secure, what I forget them all. But that's the idea, right? Isn't that what we're trying to accomplish here? It's exactly what it is. And there's no room. There's no room for fakeness um, or, or any... It just, it has to be 100% authentic. It has to be 100% authentic. You have to be truthful, honest, and vulnerable with an HSP child. They can smell right through it. They can see right through it. Um, And that's why bringing yourself into the situation. And one of the things I said on the other podcast was, you know, I understand that I don't understand. And I'm going to, you know, just to highlight that point again, it's that they, HSP will really see things differently than we do right and we as parents just have to drop this idea and we may we may say that we're not that way but we are that way naturally we want people to think the way we do in our whole life we want people to think the way we do we want our spouse to think the way we do we want our children we want our our business associates our customers our our whatever situation you're in we want people to think the way we do so this idea that you have to accept the fact that somebody that you're so near and dear to and you love so much, you may never actually understand them thoroughly is a big step. 
but when you do, you're totally able to be there for your kid at that point because you remove all these, you know, uh, uh, issues that typically arise. I, I, want okay. to I want to interject for a second because I'm getting private messages on the chat as well. And I, it's, it's interesting because I read this in the other book, Highly Sensitive Children, I think it is by, I forget what her name is. I, Dr. I, Dr. Elaine Aaron. Yeah, I encourage everyone who's listening who wants more information to read the book. I found it to be very helpful <clears> and it clarified a lot of things for me. And she talks about this idea because when you're speaking, you're speaking from your situation, which is assuming that most parents themselves are not HSPs, but many parents are. I've been, I, I've heard from many parents that told me that they themselves are an HSP. And some of them said that they understand their child and they, it's easier for them to be there for the child. And some people have shared and said that it's even more triggering for them when they see it in their child. So, you know, I'm curious, just what would you say to a parent who the, themselves who are an HSP? How well, that's, is, a good, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know because I'm not like that. So it's an experience that I myself did not experience. I mean, I, I can see it going either way. Obviously, I can see a parent feeling that they can connect with their child. Um, and I guess my response to the parent that's triggered by it is probably means that they themselves may not have fully accepted their uniqueness and they themselves might feel different, um, awkward, misunderstood. And therefore they, they naturally are triggered because they feel that their child is, is the same way. That's interesting. She does talk about that in this book. She mentions it that you know she herself was an HSP and how she kind of knew to look out for her child certain things that like she liked plain food also. So she would you know make sure that her child had you know not these high tasting foods or she needed space and her husband created like, I forget where she was sitting and while her child was playing so that she could be there, but have some space from the child, whatever. I don't know the exact scenario, but the idea, I guess, if you tell somebody that they're still uncomfortable and that's why they're, they're being triggered, it's, it sounds, it comes off sounding like, I don't know, like, oh, great. You know, what do I do about it? Okay. So I have to first take care of my own work and only then can I heal my child. Is there something I could do now, right now? I mean, there is, I suppose that you can keep the, uh, the triggers to a minimum and um, express them in a safe place away from your child. Um, but there, you know, I'm, I'm fearful though that a, a real HSP will feel it. If you're not happy with an HSP, you could say whatever you want. You can smile whatever you want. They'll pick it up in your body language. They'll pick it up in the words you choose. They'll pick it up and how wide of a smile you give them. Um, is it okay to turn to your child and say, you know what, this is too much for me right now. I'm feeling like I need to take a space. I need to take a break. So maybe, and I'm going to step out and just take some time to calm down. And then I'm going to come back and talk about it. So like you have time to reset. I think that might not be, I think that might be a better way to approach it because you can give yourself. Yes. I mean, it's anything is, you know, anything is better than a negative and wrong reaction. So right. anything that you have to do to not yell, scream, lose your patience is always gonna be an upgrade. Um, just keep in mind the problem with that is that as an HSP, it's possible that they're gonna make it personal and they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I just made mommy upset. Mm -hmm. I'm so bad, I'm so this, I'm so that's which is fine. So all it is is that afterwards, 
to tell them. When you do come back, right, you sit down with them and you're like, by the way, mommy, Tati, I was just over, you know, whoever it is. Feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, I was just overwhelmed. I need a little space. It wasn't you. I'd love to help you work through whatever issue you have now. Right. Um, Again, like you said before, vulnerability, connection is where connection happens, hap happens. And then if we tell them that, we clarify that, but then they're not left wondering, oh no, I made my mother unhappy, but we actually clarified that. Right, correct. So I'm gonna go to the next question. Um, you know, during our podcast interview, you mentioned the whole idea of not pushing our children and trying to fit them into a box and having them to act a certain way. And um, I guess my question is, is, you know, for our dandelion children, for our not sensitive children, we, are, we try to, you know, encourage them in a positive way to daven mincha or to stay in shul at certain times. Obviously we're doing it in a positive, joyful fashion, but in our lifestyle, a lifestyle, a firm lifestyle, it's so full of rules and timelines of when we should do things and how we should do things and how do we, and how do we balance that with our orchid children? Like, do we stop them and say in the morning after they wake up and give them a kiss, go wash Nagalasa before you eat? Are we supposed to do this? My fear, I guess it's not my fear. I've heard this from a lot of people is that if we don't teach them and encourage them, how are they ever going to be able to learn about our lifestyle and our values? Um, so I'm glad that Rabbi Russell did his podcast before because I think this was all covered there. Um, you need to first have the, the foundation there. Yeah, right, the you have the foundation there. You know, I, I think that when it comes to parenting, and the mitzvah of chinuch, um, the example of being a dugmachaya has always been the ultimate form of chinuch. Modeling uh, behaviors. You know, right? Children will do what they see, not what you tell them. Um, I guess we're so ingrained, I guess for me personally, I'm so ingrained with the idea that if we don't say it, because we have to say it, if we don't verbalize it, then they're not, but you're right, them seeing things is even more powerful. Them, them seeing things is, is way more powerful. And again, Rabbi Russell covered this, you know, in, in, his, uh, in his topic, but it, it reminds me, and I, I prepared it here because I thought you might bring it up. One of the places that is mentioned in the Torah about Chinuch is a Pasuk in Horatius, Pasuk Yutes, where it says, Ki yedai piv l'mana shayyachava shamazbanav. I know, I know that you will command your children. And Rashi there writes, I know, it's a lushan of love. And he goes on a few, a little further, and he says, somebody who loves a person, brings him closer to him, knows him and recognizes him. So I, I, I know this word of chinuch has been somehow sub-planted with lecturing, um, but I, I, I'd be interested for somebody to show me where it says that in, the, in any of the chinuch books. Um, I know we do it, we do it naturally, and there's no question that there's a place and a time for it. Um, but I think as, as Rabbi Russell indicated, if the love foundation is there, then it's not a lecture, it becomes a discussion. It becomes a opportunity to point out. Um, and I think that applies both to dandelions or HSPs. Now, yes, well, dandelions need a little more um, uh, encouragement, 
if you will, and guidance and direction, I guess the answer would be yes. Do HSPs naturally want to please a little more and do the right thing? I suppose the answer is yes. But this idea of lecturing um, versus guiding and, and showing and being a dugmachaya, I, I think that's where, the, that's where this confusion you know, has took place. And I, I think it's wrong across the board and I don't think it works. Again, if I'm wrong, I would love for somebody to tell me. No, I, I hear that. I've been looking. No, I, I agree. Because by the way, it's, it's way easier to lecture. Oh my gosh, yeah. we got it off our chest, we said yeah. it, we taught our kid, and now we can go on, we can check the box. Being a Dugmachaya is, is not easy, and, and it's much easier to lecture. So if anybody does have the source for lecturing, please share it with, uh, with Razel, and then we can do another podcast and just talk how to lecture. How to lecture. Okay, so let's talk about boundaries. Okay, because yep. this is something that, you know, I, it's interesting because Shim and Russell reached out to me um, and asked me about the feedback. And I, and I told them that, you know, there's different, I'm noticing that there's older people that are like, oh, great, I messed up my kids. And then there's the younger people that feel empowered, like, great, I, I can have my babies and I'm going to do this right. And then there's people that have fear. We talked about that at the beginning and feel like it's just unattainable. And he said that it's the same idea where he talked about having a large family. If we're choosing to have more children, then we have to choose to love them at this high level. Those two go hand in hand. It's not just having them, but we actually have to have them and raise them with love and not just any love, but loving them for who they, who they are and who they can be and being there for them fully. And one of the things that comes in that he talked about is boundaries and setting up you know, rules and disciplining is obviously something that he encourages being done in a kind, loving way. And I want to talk, I him to talk about that another time, but I wanted to ask you, okay, what is a healthy way to set up boundaries with an orchid child? Okay, some of my orchids literally want to move back into my womb. Some of them are like constantly hugging and constantly needing that affection. Is it okay to place boundaries and say, you know, mommy needs space, we'll be available later? Or that's one question. Or an additional, I've noticed that HSPs, when they feel strongly, when they're emotional, when they're triggered and they're very, very emotional, they can become verbally abusive. And they can say mean, hurtful things to their parents. Okay, obviously they're children. We don't take it personal, but to a sibling. And my question is, is, is it okay for me to say, I love you too much to allow you to abuse your, your sibling or your parent this way? Obviously not in an angry way, but I'm saying it's, it's not that you're a bad person, you're good, you're kind, but you're allowing your emotions to run the way you act and let's go take a time to relax. Let's go sit in this room and cool off. You're not punishing them, but you're, you're putting boundaries in place because they're out of control. Um, so when it comes to boundaries, actually HSPs, all children, but I would argue that HSPs need boundaries more than regular children do. Um, an HSP and any child for that matter does not feel safe because they themselves know that it's a, big world out there. And it's uh, sometimes even a big bad world out there. And they know that they're not old enough to manage it or survive in it properly. So they actually rely on the adults in the room to help create boundaries. Now there's two sides to them. There's, you know, their child instinct, which just wants to run in the street or stick their finger in the, in the outlet. Um, but 
the other side of them is this deep inherent understanding that they need the adult in the room to keep them safe. So not only can you set boundaries, if you don't set boundaries, you will actually be hurting your child because they will feel overwhelmed. They will feel lost. They will feel confused. Um, and they won't know, they won't have the sense of safety that they need in order to thrive. So absolutely boundary setting is a requirement with all children, but especially HSPs. Now, that being said, the question of course is, well, how do we do that? Um, and the answer to that is similar to what you said, which is, Shefala, I would love to spend time with you. I'm gonna, mommy or tati, I have to, you know, do ABC right now. You can't sleep in my bed tonight. Um, but how about this? What if I, you know, come in, you know, come into your room when you're in bed and give you a hug and a kiss or something like that? So offer them alternatives. Um, be gentle and kind and loving and not harsh because if you, let's just say a kid wants to sleep in your bed and you don't want them to that night. So if you're like, no, you can't sleep in my bed, they're not going to make a whole cheshven of why they can't sleep in your bed. They're just going to be like, oh, mommy doesn't like me. That's why I can't sleep in their bed. And that's it. So by explaining to them, and that's where the HSP versus dandelion probably shows, or the orchid versus dandelion probably shows up more. The dandelion, it may not take that long, or you may not have to give such an explanation. You could probably get away with a little less. The HSP, here's what, with an HSP, I hate to say it, everything that can be taken for children, especially everything that can be taken the wrong way, most likely will be taken the wrong way. Right. Um, not because they're taking it the wrong way, most likely because we're usually saying it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But if we set it the right way, which is lovingly, caringly, with empathy, compassion, explaining to them that it's not their fault, then they'll take it just fine and they'll right. be totally okay. Is it okay to say like, you know, I need, I can't sleep with people in my bed. It's very challenging for me to have people sleeping. I can't sleep that way, but you could lay on the floor next to my bed with your pillow and blanket. Right, so just, give them, just give them yeah, some options, right? right. 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 Give exactly. them some options or explain them. Right. You know, tonight doesn't work. I'm not feeling well but I love you. And this and that, it's the same thing with bedtime. It's the same thing with getting up in the morning. Um, it's all the same ideas. Like as your wife points out in the chat, I think it's your wife who said, every child needs boundaries. And that is very much, very much the truth. Um, right. uh, let me ask you a question. So let's say you have an HSP that's like, and first of all, by the way, for those of you that are on this, that would like to put in questions in the chat, I encourage you to do that. It doesn't be, if you want to do it privately to me, you can, um, or to Yechanan privately, whatever you choose. Um, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna man the questions. So stick them into the chat. You're more than welcome to do that at this point as well. Um, you have an eight-year-old who's an HSP. Feel is very sensory. I find that HSPs are also sensory. Um, doesn't want to wear tights or socks or long socks. The school requires a child to wear long socks. What's what are you supposed to do? Like pull your kid out of school. I mean, this child does well in the school environment. It, it, it loves the social part of it, enjoys the, the teachers, is doing okay. This is a hard thing for them. The school has this rule. What's a parent to do? Well, here's what a parent's not to do. What a parent's not to do is to 
make them wear socks that are literally physically uncomfortable. You have to be over Sarbalichayim when you do that to your child. Then you stick them into a school environment, and then we wonder why they hate school so much later. Um, but here's what I would do. I would take a day and go to, um, what's it called? It's called Joanne Fabrics. Okay. Is that what it's called? Is that store still around? Yeah, that's still around. I'd go to Joanne Fabrics with my eight-year-old, and I would have her choose out a variety of fabrics that she would like for socks. And then I would bring it to a dressmaker or a sock maker and have them make her custom socks. That don't have seams. Material that she that likes. don't have lines. That don't have. That, yep. that, yep. that worked. Yeah, wow. that worked with that worked with her. Even if the socks are slightly uncomfortable, they're going to be special socks. And yeah, it might cost you 25 bucks a pair, but it's a whole lot cheaper than sending your kid to Fresh Start when they're 25. <laughs> oh, I like how you say that. Yeah, that's great. That is very good. Okay. That is such a great answer, by the way. Literally, when you said it, I'm like, brilliant. Or another option, okay? I'm just, I'm thinking out loud here for those parents who don't have time to take their kid to Joanne Fabrics. Go to every store, buy, I, I know somebody who did this, buy every tights out there, every sock out there, every legging out there, bring it home, have a, have set up a room, have your child have a party and try on the ones that, till they find the comfortable one, you will find the right size and the right measurement. And you will, you'll be able to show your child that, look, there's options. We can figure this out together. So I think that's another alternative too. I think, I think that's great. And it's a great way to look at it. I love that. Use, use this opportunity. Um, and I know that I personally found it uh, meaningful. It's just like, it opens up a whole new world for creativity. Now, it's not always the cheapest form, um, but in the long run, it ends up being much cheaper than having to deal with the potential negative side effects of a misunderstood HSP. Right. Um, um, here, there's, I, a, there's a question here mm -hmm. that just came through to all of us. You want to read it? Okay, so, yeah. My three-year-old orchid is insisting these days on long sleeves and long pants because he wants to be like Poppy. Any suggestions how to get ready for summer? One, it'll be hard to wear that. Should we try to work on it now or let him wear long if he chooses? I think I know the answer. Go ahead. We should let them. We should it's not unhealthy them. and it's not dangerous, yep. let it go. Um, yeah. And, and by the way, even in a case like this, so what you do is they do it. You, you not warn them. That's the wrong word. You advise them of the fact that sometimes the heat in the summer might make them hot. And if they ever feel that it's too hot and they want to go back to wearing short sleeves, they will. they're always available. Right. Then they go out, they don't feel judged. They don't feel attacked. And then they feel hot. And then they remember, oh, that's right. Mommy told me if I ever feel hot. I can, uh, I can, what's it called? I can come to her and she'll give me short sleeve shirts. And then she comes and gives you short sleeve shirts. Or if they're going yeah. to school, you can put it in their bag too. Like say, here's right. some options. If you exactly. want to take it, making options, making it not a big deal. Picking our battles is so important. Um, cool. Yes. Okay. So I got some private messages and I feel like this is an important question. So if there's some time, um, one of our um, listeners wants to hear some words of wisdom for HSP parents who can get easily overstimulated and overwhelmed from their children's emotions. I, I think this may be true even for non-HSPs. I, like I feel like I'm a dandelion, I'm not an HSP. 
And I also feel that my children's emotions still trigger me. Like it's hard to watch your child cry or have a tantrum. It really bothers me. I want everyone to be happy all the time. I mean, so here's somebody who's saying she's an HSP and power. What are some ways for wisdom that you can share with these parents? And because timeout is not always an option. I don't like the word timeout. It could be just a time where you're sitting with your child also, by the way, what are some tools to stay calm in the moment, despite all the overstimulation from kids' emotions, not to mention the lights, the noise, et cetera. Um, so I can give you my own personal experience and my opportunities for triggers. Again, those who heard my daughter's podcast would know that they were much more than just being aggravated. Um, there were many difficult moments and sometimes they lasted weeks and sometimes they lasted months. Um, and what I personally would do was, was a few things. Number one is I would hold on to the positive experiences. And this is with all children, but really, especially with HSPs, you're gonna find that the moments of positive interaction or when they're online and with the program are incredibly special. Um, and I sort of just zoned in on that. And I was like, okay, that's my goal. Everything till I get there is just a sideshow and it's static and it's noise, but that's not who my daughter Manucha is. It's not who my daughter Manucha is. And if you have to go stand in front of a mirror, get a picture of her, get a picture of your child and literally just repeat it to yourself. What about if it's yourself? What if you're the HSP? You're the HSP. Your child's having a tantrum or, or having a big emotion and you're triggered by it. So then understand that they are reacting to something. They're reacting to something and use the, I mean, I, there are some people on this chat that I see some names here that know me. One of my famous lines is never let a crisis go to waste. And Rabbi Russell brought that up in his talk there. What do you say? Um, you can't show your love to a child when they obey you, only when they basically disobey you. Right. To me, in their defiance, not on their compliance. Right. To me, I'm not going to say I look for it every day, but I love a crisis because that's the opportunity where you can really connect and get to learn your child. And not only that, you can help them understand where is it coming from. And they'll understand that the reason that they're reacting negatively or that they're acting out on you or yelling and screaming is because this morning, a friend of theirs told them that they don't want to be their friend anymore. They forgot about that at a certain level in their brain, but deep down in their brain, that feeling was still there and they acted it out by you serving chicken instead of pizza for supper. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a never let a crisis go to waste kind of a guy. In fact, I've been known to sometimes make a crisis even when there isn't one, just to, when it's a little too boring, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. Thank you. But I, but I think, I think that's, I think that's what it is. I think the idea is that you, you literally focus on the in that child and and whether you're, I mean, if you're an HSP or not an HSP parent, I don't know that it makes a difference. I think if you have the proper mindset that this is an opportunity for me to help my child understand how they work, because that's essentially what you're doing. You're basically explaining to them how their reaction 
you know, where to help them connect the dots of why they're feeling that way. And then going back to what you will find, and it might take a year, it might take two, depending on the age. What you will find is that the child will start doing it on their own. They will start coming to you and saying, you know, mommy, I, I was starting getting in a bad mood. And then I realized that it's because, you know, Hani told me today that she, she was upset at me or something, or, or because my Mora yelled or my Rebbe yelled at another boy in class. Yeah. They'll actually come to you. It's going to take a while. Again, a long time. I have right. one of my ages Kate said to me today, I'm noticing I'm, I'm controlling my emotions more. I was like, wow, this is a right. And like, he notices on his own because we've been talking about it enough and showing examples enough and here it, he's seeing it, but it takes a lot. It's a lot of work. It says not a quick fix. A question that um, somebody else asked is, um, most schools aren't equipped to handle our HSPs. How do we navigate the school systems? I mean, this is a very big question because if your child's in a big school, small school, if you have an HSP, you know, how do we how do we navigate this? So again, thank you, Rabbi Russell, for addressing this in his prior podcast, which I believe he did, Razel, correct? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Um, I, that's that's a problem. What I what I would say is. Um, is number one is, as Mark Twain said, don't let school get in the way of your education. Great line. Um, and I think that that has to be, you know, school is a tool to help our children succeed and thrive and live functional from Torah lives. That's what school is there for. And if it is not accomplishing that goal, then it is not a helpful tool. Now, obviously, they have to be there. That's correct. So I would encourage you. I, I, my understanding is that many schools have already um, embraced the proper version of, or at least attempted and have begun embracing the proper version of Chinuch and what a child really needs these days. Um, but I would encourage you as a parent you, the person who asked that question, all of us, we don't actually appreciate the impact that we can have on our children. I don't know that, I don't think Rabbi Russell talked too much about this, but the concept of resiliency. Resiliency in a child is not created by sticking them in a tough situation and telling them to figure it out. It's actually quite the opposite. Um, and the most impactful person and persons in a child's life will be the parents. I do want to give a disclaimer. The last podcast, I threw out a number, 90% of the self-esteem by the fathers. That was just my uh, passion talking. Um, and the only reason I said it is that I believe that the value of a father in a child's life has been undermined by our society at large. Uh, America in general, and I believe it's creeped its way into the firm Torah world as well. So that was my reason for being so extreme on that number. But what I would say is the proper connection that a parent can have with a child can allow a child to survive and even thrive in a otherwise challenging situation. Every situation is difficult, or sorry, is different. And every situation is unique. So I'm not giving a specific, you know, so listen, you're talking to someone who ended up 
we pulled our kids out of school. We, and then my daughter, we moved her. So there are times where school is literally not a fit. Um, but before jumping to that, if you are the best parent you can be to that HSP child, you'd be surprised what type of resiliency they, have. they, can, they can obtain and they can get to overcome situations that otherwise might be challenging. Right, that's a very important piece there. Um, how can we help teachers? Like if you were to, if there was teachers listening to this podcast, to this workshop right now, and I feel, I find that, you know, at the same time as we say that our mice days are, are having, you know, have to come with the time and all that, a teacher at this point, they're not being paid enough. They're not appreciated enough. They have parents that are, want their kids to be dropped off and picked up and you deal with my child, you teach my child how to read, you fix my child, I want to come home. I think there's a lot of that too, that parents want and accept. I remember my first child, when my child came home from kindergarten, it was like, the teacher was like, you need to teach them these 25 sight words. I was like, wait, I thought you teach them how to read. I have to teach them how to read. I, I thought that's what I'm paying for. And I soon learned that that's not the truth. But I'm saying, what would you advise teachers who maybe have, obviously we know that it's 20%. So at least 20% of their classroom is going to have, are having, you know, HSPs. And despite the teacher's understanding and efforts, maybe they don't have the right tools. I don't know. These HSPs can become disruptive and disrespectful in the classroom. I see it because they have difficulty with emotional regulation or compliance. So what can teachers who are struggling with these HSPs, like what would be something you advise them? Um, so first of all, as I would say that knowing what I know today, I give tremendous credit to teachers that that get it and that are changing lives um i i i feel that you know picking up on people's needs and kids needs i i think it's something i'm good at but i stick me in a classroom and i don't know if i could last there for five minutes so um it's it's a very challenging it's a challenging situation let alone when you're parenting children whose home environment is incredibly challenging, whether that's mentally, emotionally, you know, physically, neglect, whatever it might be. I, I, I don't have an answer to that. What I, what I would say is that um, one of the things that I've done to hone my own personal skills on this topic, um, there's a Lubavitch Yeshiva here, and I wanted to do a test to see whether or not children express themselves on the outside, if you could tell by just looking at a child. So I went in one time, this was about two years ago. It was a Chabad Fabregen going on. There were 30 Bachar in the room and I sat next to someone and I said, I wanna make a guess of, you know, Bachar that are struggling. Um, and I don't want you to tell me names because I don't wanna know if the family's divorced. I don't wanna, I wanted to see. And, I was able to basically nail the seven Bukharim in the room by just looking at their actions and just looking at their motions. And when I explained it to the older Bukhar sitting next to me, it became totally logical. So what I would tell teachers is that the younger a child is, the more difficult it is for them to hide what's really going on. Um, look, for the, look for the subtleties um so like one example was there was <clears throat> there was one bucker that you know the tables were shaped in a chess 
and and one bucher came in and was sitting behind another bucher. Then the one in the front, the boy in the front, walked out. So there was a space for that other bucher to move up, but he chose to stay in the back. Then he walked out, came back five minutes later, and again, instead of pulling his chair all the way up to the table to be with the rest of the guys, he kept standing in the back or sitting in the back when there was nobody blocking him. That's just a subtlety, like clearly this young man, this buffer, didn't feel comfortable for whatever reason, pulling his chair up to the table to be with everyone else, which by the way, would have made him closer to the cake and the herring. So just strategically, um, he would have been better off pulling his chair in. So I would only, you know, all I would tell teachers is that look out for the subtleties and whatever messages you're learning about how to treat HSPs or how to treat children or whatever parents can do, I think the answer is a teacher can do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult job. Somebody privately messaged that they, as a teacher and as a parent, the first and foremost challenge that they have, or we all have with our children, is not to take the child's behavior personally. I think it's a very important point that somebody pointed out. When we make it personal, when we take it like that's disrespectful, that's not okay, that is, you know, I'm not standing for that, that's when it becomes like a power struggle and that's when it becomes a real issue. Um, yeah, and when, when a child reacts that way, it's, it's because of, um, it's just a desperate need for connection. That's all it is. Right. Whenever we see a behavior of children are dissolving in tears or having a heart, there's a need that's not being met. And I saw somebody posted this today. They said, so often children are punished for being human. Children are not allowed to have a grumpy mood. They're not allowed to have bad days, be disrespectful or disrespectful tones or bad attitude. Yet we adults have them all the time. None of us are perfect. And we have to stop holding our children to this high standard of perfection that we can't even attain for ourselves. Yet we expect it from, from second graders, third graders, fifth graders, adult teens, adults, when we can't even do it ourselves. So right, Dr. Honoring uh, feelings, honoring their feelings. Correct, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, one of the uh, godfathers of trauma, uh, talks about marriage, but I think the same can be applied to children is that in a, in a marriage, sometimes we want our spouse to love the part of ourselves we ourselves hate. Right. And, and I think that point could easily be applied to children. Very often we see children behave for their age in a manner that we ourselves behave in. And we, you know, we expect them to do it differently than what, than yeah. what we do. And I think that that point is valid. Um, so somebody wrote over here, they said, um, my HSP comes, um, hates homework. When she comes home, she's had enough stimulation for the day. The school doesn't understand this, how to deal. So I, I have an eight-year-old that's similar in that, and I don't make her do her homework. First of all, after school is a really hard time. We came up with a solution. First of all, if the Kriya is too long, she gets to pick which how many lines she wants to do instead. It's up to me. I'm the parent. I can decide that. The Chumash is supposed to be reviewed without the English translation. I don't really care about that. We're going to do it with the translation because that's what she needs, and we do it one time, and that's sufficient. And some days, we don't do it because there's too much overstimulation. Is that the correct? I mean, I, I think that that's the correct way. What, what are your feelings on that? I, I believe I believe a hundred percent. You may get them to do that homework, and you'll end up having them hate the subject. So um, I believe that you know ultimately, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, or no minutes at all, you give them the option. And again, the beautiful thing specifically about HSPs 
is that given the opportunity to succeed, they will. They will. They're going to feel worse about not knowing a particular subject or not getting the best grade that they could get. There's no need for you to worry about that with an HSP. You don't have to tell an HSP what to do, even at a younger age. They will have a natural desire to succeed and to perform, um, but they can't always do it on your schedule. And you have to allow them, and hopefully the school is understanding and the teacher's understanding. And if not, then um, I'd still advise against uh, forcing any child, let alone an HSP, to complete a certain amount of homework and to fight with them because you're pretty much guaranteeing that that's the last time they'll remember or even be interested in that, uh, in that subject. And for more on that topic, you can look up a video by Rabbi Russell on the topic of learning trauma, which is essentially that There was a question here. Mm -hmm. um, you want to read it? I don't even know where that is. So go ahead, read it. It says, it says, to give direction as we parent now, can you describe how we can imagine an HSP as an adult? Regular and HSP each are unique, but would you expect HSPs to have specific needs as an adult? Um, needs, I mean, I, I, when I, I don't have personal experience in that. Well, I shouldn't say I don't. I actually, I, I think I could answer that. Um, I understand the question. Can you explain that a little bit? More? I think like what I think what the question is is uh, on HSP. What do they look like As if they perform? I suspect if they perform in a, if they if they if they're brought up in a proper healthy environment, um, then you can ultimately, you know, try and envision what they'll look like. So number one is. I think that a healthy HSP will end up dedicating their lives to making the world a better place. Um, just from a practical perspective, they may end up in nursing. Many of them will end up in mental health, um, but most likely their impact will be felt in a more meaningful way because they are generally more teichendic or again, more connected to a holy, you know, to their, to their neshama and therefore want to actually accomplish and, and create a dira betachtainim down here. Um, so that's number one. Number two is they will typically have the need to express themselves, again, whether it's art, music, food, they'll, they'll, they'll typically have some form of, of expression that's above and beyond perhaps what a non-HSP might be. I think in terms of relationships, yes, they will need to process information um, more um, intensely than a non-HSP. So someone who marries an HSP, again, similar to an HSP child, maybe spending a little time every day or not getting, you know, or, or spending time with a HSP spouse to talk about things that you might find somewhat irrelevant um, or pointless, an HSP will, um, you know, will typically need to communicate, right? Get other, right, get it out. Another thing um, would be just, uh, and this is in general, 
people, but especially HSPs will need time for self-care. Um, very often they will be involved in a meaningful project, um, saving the world, making the world a better place. Sometimes that's for their husbands, sometimes it's for their wives, sometimes it's for their children, their community. Uh, they will very often forget about themselves. Um, now, again, if a child grows up understanding that they're an HSP, understanding that they have certain tendencies, then hopefully they'll make a point to make sure that they, you know, fit in those things. But an HSP might need more time, just downtime to allow their brain to literally relax and calm down and process the information. Um, those would be, you know, that's, again, there's nothing bad or, or negative here. Um, anything that I said, I think is helpful for all of mankind. Right, so specifically for HSPs. Right. So somebody but, actually wrote in the chat that they agree with you. They said, as an HSP myself, I agree with you, Hanan, that despite the challenges I had in school, a father's love and connection can eliminate and override so many of the issues that came up. The close relationship and knowledge that he's always there and the love and bond can be so magical and can tear away so many layers and challenges that come our way. And this is true. I think that this is true for an adult HSP who has a, a very strong bond with their spouse that could also have that that connection can also help. Um, but the, the the love of a parent can help build that resilience. Love, yeah, the, so and the love of a parent, I you know, for any of I think you started out again, the hopelessness or the the love of a parent never ends, never changes, no matter the age, you can turn the dynamic around. A parent can, I'm not gonna use the word easily, but a parent has the opportunity to meaningfully impact and change the traje trajectory of their child's life, despite the age of a child. Um, you know, I know of a person just the other day, a mother, children, and her father sent her a little uh, Mother's Day gift, and just the meaning of it was was so incredibly meaningful. It would be that way for anybody, um, but for an HSP, those connections and those relationships, especially with the parents, despite the age. So anybody that's looking back, and you know, the truth is, and I, I don't want to. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. But any of this, it's too late and I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. It it's, takes too much energy. I'm exhausted. It's just, it's just, I don't mean to rain on your parade. I know, I know you might be older, you might be tired. You just want to throw in the towel. You're looking for a legitimate excuse. If you're looking for a legitimate excuse, I'll give you three seconds to get they're off. Not the on the, they're not on this podcast. They're not. They're not? Okay, good. Those Fine. people aren't here because they're not taking the time to come to this workshop. If they Got feel it. that way, okay. they're not even here. Okay, good. That's, that's, that's what, why that's what I, I have to say because it's just excuses and they're not here. Because if they're here, right. you know, so, once in a while that voice comes up in our head that like, I can't, this is too much. I can't do this, it's exhausting. It's fine. Once in a while to hear that voice and to say, I know, be compassionate to myself. This is a lot. Like right. And, and and correct. You obviously have to take compassion on yourself, but do not underestimate the power of that relationship you can have on your child, no matter the age, no matter the situation, no matter the matzah. It is the most curing and healing thing ever. Somebody, somebody shared with me privately that I just want to find the, the exact, my 13 year old HSP daughter couldn't handle her strong emotions and therefore shut down 
shut them down and pretend they don't exist. How can we as her parents help her feel safe with her feelings and emotions? So that's that's one question, but I see more of that coming up. Hold on, so let me, let me answer that question. Yeah. What would I do? What I would do is I would go out and I'd buy all the books that Razel mentioned and I would pile them up in an obvious place near me. And when my daughter would walk by, I'd make a point to let her know that I'm reading these books because I think it might help me help you. Um, if it's done properly, hopefully it'll engage in the conversation and you let her know that you understand that you may have not properly understood her, but you're doing something about it now and you're reading up on it and she'll shrug her shoulders and say, I don't care, it's too late. I don't know what you're talking about, but all that is just silliness. We ignore all that. You read the books too, no? Well, I don't know the age. And I don't know the relationship. She might still be in the denial stage where she wants to see if you're real. So she might put you through the, put you through the ringer to make sure that you're actually committed to it. Um, so no, if you hand her the book, what you're basically saying is it's your problem. So right. uh -huh. you don't handle the hand of the book. You read the book because it's my problem. And my like, like, it's, it's not problem. It's responsibility. You said that. Right. Well, but if she shut down, that's a problem. Right. Okay. The fact okay. that she's shut down is obviously because she never felt comfortable or understood. But at 13, you can turn it around. There's certainly stuff you can do. It just has to be obvious that you're serious about it and show her that you're serious about it by doing obvious things. Um, and those obvious things will be reading the books, buying the books, making sure that she knows that you're making that commitment, making sure that you... Um, you know, even even just asking her every day, is there anything do you want to share? She'll be like, no, I don't even want to share anything. I don't want to share anything. Not with you. And you're like, no problem. No problem, Shefula. Whenever you're ready, if you need to, I'm here. And that's it. And you just keep at it because, and the truth is, why should she switch on a dime and believe you? Just because the parent decided to show up and understand their child, her brain is telling her, hold on, beware. It's, this hasn't happened before. So this is a new environment for the child. She's going to test it before she agrees. Right. That's, that's a great answer. I really, I think that's great. I mean, I, you know, I even have, I've had situations where, you know, a, a child will throw. So let's say a, a child throws water on you. Or a child gets mad and squirts ketchup on you. And this goes back to what Shiva Russell said, right? And Artsy Sral, where he said, I will love you more than you defy me. Yeah. That opportunity, if a child throws water or something on you, the opportunity for you to show that you're safe, you, you, should, you should wish for the days that they throw water or ketchup on you. you because the amount of the, the compassion and commitment and care and concern and love that you can show to them at that exact moment you couldn't make that stuff up even if you tried. That's in the moment. And at that moment, you have a tremendous opportunity to heal or to harm. There's nothing in between. Right. And if you react in anger and because you're you've been triggered and you took it personal, I want to say that I can understand that, but it's it's a it's at the same time it's still abusive. We cannot do that, you know. My daughter today, one of my children had a strong reaction after school about something and started to, you know, scream and yell and kick and scream. 
and just very, very gently and lovingly as much as possible, I removed the child from the room and put, put them in the room and said, you're going to sit here and just with your feelings. If you're a good girl, you're just have, your emotions are really big right now. I'm here. I'm right outside this room, right over here. Take your time. And when you're ready, I'll tell you when you can come out and if you're calm, you'll be ready. And after she was finished, she turned to me and she said, I'm so embarrassed that I kicked you and I hurt you. I shouldn't have done that. I was just, my feelings were so big, mommy. And I said to her, I said, you know, I understand that my feelings were so big at that moment too. Like I had such big feelings at that moment too. I can relate to what you're feeling. And for me to share that with her, I kind of validated her experience that like, even my mommy feels that way sometimes. So, and she felt embarrassed, but like also in a learning opportunity where she learned something from that experience. So it's- One of the, um, one of the things that Rabbi Russell says is um, the concept of Tsar Giddel Banim. Um, he puts a comma, Tsar Giddel, the pain of our growth, comma, comes through our Banim. That's incredible. Tsar Giddel Banim is not that our children cause us pain. They it's that them. our own growth and the pain that comes, the pain that we feel as we're growing comes through our children. So yes, so we have a choice. When, you know, when uh, confronted with a situation, how are we going to react to it? And um, with, with any child, but especially with an HSP, we better put in a lot of thought because an HSP will express their pain. Right. Let me ask you a question. I, I know we have not that much time left, but somebody else asked this privately, and it's a great question. Um, let's say you're married to a HSP, Okay. And this HSP was not given that unconditional love and safe life, whatever, you know, all the different things we talked about for that helps them care, love, you know, routine, all the different things. What can we help? How can we help a spouse or a loved one that is a grown up version of an HSP who's struggling? How do we help, how do we help them recover? Um, it's a very difficult question. Um, that's a marriage question. I, I don't comment on those topics. Um, I know you're couching it in, in HSP terms. What I would say is that if the parents are involved and around and are able to help that child, no matter the age, heal, then that is powerful. Um, if they're not, I, I don't believe a spouse can ever replace because a spouse wasn't meant to replace a parent. And I think if a spouse attempts to fill the role of a parent, it can get sticky and complex. Um, but what I have found, and we even see it at Fresh Start, is that the desire for an HSP to go through a healing process is gonna be incredibly more powerful and strong than a non-HSP because they'll probably be in a lot more pain um, and they can't handle that pain. And their desire to be the best they can be is gonna be strong enough that what the spouse can do is just create an environment for their husband or wife to be able to go on this journey, this healing journey. And, you know, part of that is going to be whether it's therapy, 
whether it's self-discovery and reading books and understanding themselves and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think if you're married to an HSP that did not get what they needed, um, the good news is, is you won't have to, and I say this all the time, you don't have to tell an HSP what to do. You just have to help create the environment for them to succeed. So as the spouse in the relationship, you know, allow them the time and the space. And if you're able to, and if needed, the financial wherewithal um, to take on a, a journey of healing. And, you know, depending on their stage of trauma and what they went through, that can take a while. Um, but if you create the environment for them to heal, an HSP will will take the opportunity and heal. Right. Um, another question that somebody else asked is that if let's say it's a single HSP, uh, adult, not married, but you know, adults living at home with you know, you know, their parents, their parents don't understand them. I think that generation has, you know, I I think they have a harder time with this whole information. What does this mean? You know, this idea. And so this person that's asking is that saying the parents don't understand that. And because they don't understand these concepts, they're neglecting them. Or they, they could be fixing this by loving on them and connecting with them and seeing them for who they are and maybe owning up to things and being vulnerable with them. They could help this, this HSP, but they don't have it. So what would you, I guess, I'm not sure if this person is asking this for a sibling of theirs or what would they, how can, how can we help them? I, I think they go on a journey of self-discovery. I think, you know, what I find and what I have found is that buying the books, reading the books, watching the videos, educating yourself on how you react and how you view the world is really the most critical. That's the most important thing. Um, you know, now after that, it's a matter of did this person go through trauma in their life and how did that impact them? And for that, there's a variety of trauma-based therapies that work, but just focusing on the HSP part, make yourself aware, may realize that you're not crazy, that there's nothing inherently wrong with you, that you have unique cushion, unique gifts, unique talents, um, and that you have the ability to change the world in ways that most of the population doesn't and won't. And um, whether that's standing in front of a mirror every morning and night and reading daily affirmations, um, as part of your, your daily journey, but it's a matter of accepting yourself and you can accept yourself by first understanding yourself and realizing that there's nothing inherently wrong. And even in that question, you know, that question almost sounds like the person who asked it or that they're asking about may not even realize their gifts and their talents already. So that has to be the foundation. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. I think also this person that's asking specifically, I think I would add to that and tell me if this resonates, is that you as a sibling can shower this sibling with love. And instead of looking at them as a broken person, you can share with them that, you know, instead of saying that they're a bad person or that they did something wrong or they're just traumatized and you just need help and you're so, you know, you're off and you're, you're weird. Instead, show them how beautiful they are. Show them that they're a beautiful neshama. Show them that, you know, your par our parents made a mistake with you. I, well, you know, it, you had your trauma, you had your little trauma, your big trauma, but you still have a chance to step out of victimhood and you can get help. 
you know, don't, don't do the blame game. Don't be busy blaming your parents with them, but rather show them that there's a way forward, show them that there's options out there and give them numbers of somebody who can, you know, give them some trauma-based therapy, show them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that if they want, they can choose to live a happy, healthy life. It takes a lot of work, but they could do it. Yeah. Parents, parents may be the most ideal or the quickest path to healing, but they are in no way, shape or form the only path. Right. And if the parents are not available, emotionally, physically, mentally, whatever it might be, then someone else can step up to the plate and accomplish uh, a similar healing journey. May take a little longer, maybe a little different, yeah. um, but the the ability to the ability to help someone, especially a family member, you know, um, find healing and solace and comfort in their uniqueness and their 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 specialty is, is something anybody can help with right and, and if it's for them themselves uh, somebody else is commenting here if it's for you yourself like rabbi like rabbi um, like yechanan palter said that looking in the mirror and telling yourself i'm a i have a piece of hashem i'm goodness i'm i have ability to heal i'm a, i have a part of hashem within me i'm good i'm not bad i'm broken and i can be healed that just that knowledge that there's so much out there that can help heal. Can I, can I, can I just comment there? We don't stand in front of a mirror and say I'm broken. Okay. 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 So, so, say, so what would be the right say, thing? Please we, go ahead. I'm not the expert. No, so we, I mean, it, the rest of it is correct, but, but the fact is that we're, we're, we're holy, we're special. I would encourage people. There's a, there was a well-known motivational speaker by the name of Zig Ziglar. Um, he has some, you know, well-worded, um affirmations yeah self you know daily affirmations of course you can customize them but the, the truth is that at our deep core we're not broken we're perfect we're holy and that is who we are everything else is just shells and and clippers and yeah. coverings and all this other stuff but at our core no one's broken and no one should feel that way um, and when a person goes through this journey and starts to come out the other side of it, they, they start realizing that any negative view of themselves was simply someone else, whether it's a parent or a teacher putting their own dysfunction onto them, onto them. Right. Yeah. And that's the truth is that like, and that's why when you read those books and you realize it's actually a gift that you have, don't look at it as a deficiency but rather look at it as something that's a gift that you have and how can you use that to make that work? I'm also getting a lot of comments. I don't have, to, I don't know if we have enough time for this, but like, you know, how, you know, my HSP is a preschooler. What's the correct way to deal with a preschooler? What's the correct way to deal with a teenager? I feel, I want to encourage you to read that book by, tell me the name again, Highly Sensitive Children. Dr. Highly Sensitive Person by Dr. Elaine Aaron, Highly Sensitive Children by Dr. Elaine Aaron. She also has a book on relationships on, on marriage right yeah. being married to an hsp hsp and in love i think it might be called my, that might be good for people that are their hsps and are in shidduchim like that might be an interesting correct correct topic. understanding what they need in the spouse absolutely um you know i think it's, it's a little, has chapters ahead. in there for preschool she has a chapter for babies she has chapter 15 she really addresses these questions in those chapters yeah yeah no that's an important piece yeah and and the concept is is all the same just make sure, make sure that they are heard. Make sure that they are heard. I'm not even gonna say understood because you're not always gonna understand them. 
unless you're an HSP yourself. If you're an HSP, and even if you're an HSP, maybe you react differently. You don't have to understand. You just have right. to hear them. You just so letting them, them, letting them emote, letting them talk, like downloading them, just getting it off their chest, giving them ability to speak. Um, as Correct. teachers, we don't have the time for this in our classroom, but like if a teacher could be able to take kids out of a classroom and just talk with them, wouldn't that be also helpful? I mean, I know that children, I know that parents are the, you know, the important piece here, but I'm saying a teacher, a teacher that wants to really help her students, would that be something that might be helpful to, to a teacher as well? Absolutely. Um, I think the second to the most important person in a child's life probably is a teacher. Um, and, you know, that's why I said earlier, if they can spot out the discomfort of a child early in the morning or during playtime or whatever, and just take that child aside and spend a few minutes with them, um, that would be incredibly powerful, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, the, the, there's there are two more questions I had I just want to finish off with. Sure. Um, yeah, what about the other siblings, okay? They truly who could feel that it's not fear that there's so many accommodations being made for this other sibling. What can we do to alleviate this with our other children who may be dandelions who are you know, not highly sensitive and feel like it's just not fear? So the only reason I think a child would feel is it's not fair is if they themselves are not getting what they actually need from you. So it's only not fair because if, they have need that's being not being met. They have needs that are not being met. I'm not telling, you know, so in terms of, even in terms, so they might say, well, you're letting, you know, Khani not do her homework. Why are you making me do my homework? Right. So I believe that whether you're an HSP or not, you should really think about what are you doing to this child? What impact is this homework having on them? Um, you know, and think twice. But the fact is that if a, if a non-HSP child's able to, like, you know, this child's able to, but he'd rather play on his computer game than, than actually care for his bar mitzvah. Shouldn't we push them? Shouldn't we encourage them? Shouldn't in a positive, loving way that's 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 uplifting for them? So you're you're talking to somebody that um, was forced to lane at his bar mitzvah and has trauma. Never, never wanted to lane again to the point that I do not let my children lane at their bar mitzvah. Right. So that's the wrong example to give. By the okay. way, for the record, I didn't let my older son lane at his bar mitzvah. And then three years later, he decided to learn how to lane on his own. And now he lanes. So it actually worked out um, quite that's well. That's ironic. But, but I, I, it's not- Forget way, laning. Not, what about their mimer? Whatever it is, whatever I'm saying, they don't want to do it. it. So, you, so you work, so you, you have to know there's, there's a way to encourage. And, but I, you know, a lot of what you're asking is not HSP versus non-HSP. It's how to deal with children, and yeah. there are better there are better people equipped. I hear what you're saying to, to answer that topic. An HSP, I think, where it shows up most meaningfully is probably in the time that you spend with them. If I had to, like, you know, where you you might find that you have to talk to your HSP kid 15 minutes a night, and all that means is is that if you're not HSP, make sure you talk to them two minutes a night. They don't they're not gonna, right. They're they not going to be jealous if they see you even a half hour. They're not going to be jealous. They they're actually probably bored of talking to you after two minutes. They want to go play with their friends. They want to go do something. This you know, is, they're, this not, is, they're not going to care to unload their whole life on you. This is a very true point. Um, I do want to say that at the same time, you know, the fact is if, if you have one or more, two more, two, one or two more, more than that um, orchids in your family, it takes up a lot of energy. And 
you know, like in your case where you literally stopped everything and took care of the child. I mean, I don't know how you and your wife got anything done. And I'm not sure how you got anything else done, but it also, it's hopeful. I mean, it gives us, you know, we feel like it's hard. We feel like it's tough, but we can do this. And I, I feel no, like- you feel, I, I just want to comment on that. You feel it's hard and tough because you haven't seen the other side of it. But I, I know that there are, I know that there are people listening to this uh, talk right now that would jump out of their seats and scream off the rooftops and say that when you start connecting with your child in the proper way, they just start doing things the right way because they want to. It's not, it's not actually hard and difficult. It's much harder to have to fight with your kid every single day for 15 years to do homework or, or 15 years to make their bed or, or 15 years to hopefully not brush their teeth. But let's even assume that it's 15 years to brush their teeth. It's not harder. That's a fallacy. It's not true. The amount of effort and energy that parents are exerting every day to put out fires and to clean up messes is so much greater than the amount of energy of just connecting with your child and being there with them. I promise you, it is so much easier in the long run. Yeah, no, I, I think it's very true. And I actually think, I'm, I'm just honoring the fact that it's hard. I'm, I'm not taking that away. Yes, you're right. And at the same time, it's also very hard. That's all I'm saying. Um, it is, but what hard compared to what? Right. Well, it depends what you compare to sitting on your bed and doing nothing or sitting on your phone and, and just vegging out or just going away with your husband to Florida for five days. It's, it's, that's harder than doing that. Okay. Well, it, it it's, it's, it it's not really because that ends up showing up later in the child's life. Right. Yeah. I always, I always say when it, a lot of what I get calls on is kids at risk and going off the derech, et cetera. Um, and my line is that a a child is going to have to learn how to be toilet trained and they're probably going to have some accidents in their bed. We, as the parents simply get to choose at what age they do that. Yeah. So it's the same thing with a struggle and a challenging kid. They can act out at eight appropriately as an eight year old, or unfortunately they may act out at 18 as an eight-year-old. It's much easier to work with an eight-year-old acting out than it is an 18-year-old. I like that. That resonates with me. I'm going to hold on to that because my eight-year-old's giving me a run for my money. Uh, but um, I want to finish off with something that, I, that, I, that I've been really percolating on since I listened to Shimon Russell's doing the interview with him and with your interview and with your daughter, is that this level of connection and this um, attachment that we can do with our children, it's really, I say it's hard, but it's really like living with Mashiach. It's like bringing, it's like the highest level. It's like, this is how it's going to be when Mashiach's here. And if we could take these ideas and bring them into our life and actually connect with our children, love on them unconditionally, not because they give us nachas, not because they make us, they brought, they brought home a hundred on their Gemara test, not because they look so cute in that outfit, but because they are just who they are for no reason at all. We can have that kind of level of love and that kind of connection and attachment. We are living with Mashiach. It's like a level of Geula. And I feel like these moments that are so right before Mashiach coming, we have to take this on. This has to be what we need to be focusing on. Our families, our children, connecting with them in such a deep way. 
and looking and evaluating, is this working, is this not working? Does this classroom bring up the best of my child? Do I need to switch a school? Really taking an interest and not just doing it like as a backbone, but doing everything we can to help ourselves heal and help our children heal. So- yes, um, and, I, and I would I would encourage everyone to look at a podcast that Rabbi Shastow did for Fresh Start with um, world-renowned Dr. Janina Fisher on trauma. Um, and in that podcast, he, he basically highlighted the point of Varel Kobasar Yachtov, that the entire world and every human, and that's, you know, I'll, I'll apply it a little differently. That's basically what an HSP is. An HSP sees godliness everywhere they look. The fact that we don't is frankly not their problem. It's yeah. our problem. So somebody asked for the link for the podcast. I'm just going to copy it and put it into the into the chat over here. You can't. It's called a positive podcast. Um, it's on most listening apps. You could find it. I mean, most listening, whatever you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Let me just put this to everyone. Hold on. Um, and um, I encourage you to listen to this podcast. It's it's quite powerful. And you, you should also the guy. The guy I want to give a disclaimer. The person in the chat says, Yochanan Gordon's daughter. I'm Yochanan Poulter. Right. We could, do, we could do a podcast with Yochanan Gordon. And it's a different guy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. So just important to know. So you want to, it's not, you want to keep your names properly. Um, so again, I want to thank you for your time um, and for your inspiration. I feel like, what is the word? You're making HSPs great again. Is that the line? Yes. Yes. We have to make dads great again. We have to make HSPs great again. Yes. A lot of a lot of baseball caps we have to make. Yes. We're and, making great again. Yes. So um, this is our blessing to all of us is that we should have the kayak and the energy and the wherewithal and the knowledge to realize how important this is. And now this is our shlokas. This is our mission to help our children and connect with them and love them and bring out the best in ourselves and in our children. So Thank you for joining me tonight. And thank you, Yechanan, um, for your time and for giving so much of your knowledge. And you say you're not, you're not an expert. You're not, you know, you don't, you know, I don't have, a, you know, uh, LCSW by my name or any certification, but you really have shared so much knowledge here. And it's something that we are all very grateful for. Um, I'm, yes. humbled and, I'm humbled and honored. And um, anything I can do to help, uh, help anyone that's that's what we're here for and frankly it gives meaning to uh to my story and the journey we had with our daughter so i thank everybody for willing to listen <laughs>